had a article by Rachel Aviv. It's in the New Yorker. It was back in, uh, it was actually published in 2008 and part of my preparation for this whole series in identity. Because one of the things I realize is stolen identity is one thing and it can really create a, ro- a lot of problems. But one of the things that often happens too is that we, we give our identity away. We lose it. We forget it. And, and that might be a more common experience. The story is about Hannah Up, who had been missing for nearly two weeks in midtown Manhattan. Her friends had posted thousands of flyers and, and put up um, these flyers in subway stations and bus stops and all around. And it was September of the year 2008. And Hannah, who was a middle school teacher in a school that was in, 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 in Harlem, a public school in Harlem, hadn't shown up for the first day of school. And her roommate had found her wallet her passport, her metro card, and her cell phone in her purse on the floor of her bedroom. And the New York City Daily News reported teacher 23 disappears into thin air. They didn't know where she was. And detectives were assigned to find her, and she was first spotted at an Apple store through a camera surveillance, and by the time they got there, she was gone. And then they spotted her again, this time at a Starbucks in Soho. And again, by the time they tried to get there, she was gone. She had disappeared. And the police recorded five other sightings of her in New York sports clubs, all of them in the Midtown area. And one article said it was as if the city had simply opened up wide and swallowed her whole. They would spot her, and then she would disappear. That's kind of how it is in our life sometimes. People spot our true identity for a moment, and we see it, and all of a sudden it's gone. Well, on September 16th, 20 days after she had been missing... The captain of a Staten Island ferry saw her body bobbing and they went to grab her, grabbed her by the ankles. And when they did, she came up and she gasped air and she was alive. And they were amazed at that. They actually, they took her to the Richmond University Medical Center in Staten Island. And it was another three weeks before they began to piece together who she was and what her, who, who her identity was. And they began to realize, oh, this is the person that had been missing. But that wasn't all for Hannah Up. Another three months or so took place before she began to understand and, and, and really regain her sense of identity. And after many months of working with therapists, a diagnosis called disassociative few, which means to fly or to flight, a rare condition which people lose their personal identity. That's what had happened. The state is typically triggered, they say, by trauma or some unbearable internal conflict that goes on within a person. And things kind of snap and disassociate. And one of the psychiatrists of Columbia's psychiatric unit, Aaron Krasner, who is a professor at the uh, psychiatry at Yale, writes this. Disassociative fugue is a rare bird of disassociation. So there's a number of different dissociation categories. But this dissociation... As a phenomenon, just the large category is really very common. It happens at a level where we all kind of experience it to a slight degree, where we kind of just separate ourselves from our real identity. And you know how people say, well, that, you know, they do something wrong. They go, well, that wasn't me, right? You, you have this kind of brief disassociation that takes place. And he says, it's terrifying to think that we are all vulnerable to a lapse of selfhood or sense of identity. And that's what I really want to talk about this morning with regard to what it means to stay in the identity that you have been given in Christ. 
Remember we talked last week about Paul's statements. He would say this word in Christ. He used it over 160 times throughout the letters in the New Testament. And he, he would talk about who you are has been changed because of what Jesus has done. And you have received that and accepted that and are beginning to follow and live in him. And he is living in you. So as I thought about that, I thought, you know, it would be really, probably pretty important for us to think about where did Paul get these in Christ kind of statements where your identity is found in him, which is a really difficult kind of thing to picture and understand. What does it mean to be in Christ and Christ in you? Well, if you go back to the New Testament in John chapter 15, Jesus, just the night before he's going to be crucified, shares with his disciples the importance of staying connected to him. And it's a, it's a scripture that many of you may have heard. It's this one about a vine and a branch. And so he says to them, I want you to recognize how important this is going to be. I think he was saying this to Peter and them as they approached even this time of great trial, this storm that was to occur in their life. Because what is it that separates us from our identity with Christ? Why do we forget it or lose it or not remember it? It's because usually something's going on. We either have a a storm or a trial or or some kind of infestation of temptation to want to allow those sinful desires to come out, those which have been have been have been um, put in the grave, and yet they kind of rise up in us because of the way that we have been trained in our mind. And he says there's this possibility that in those kind of times you need to recognize this. So I'm going to ask you to stand again. I know you, I'm just, this, I do this so you stay awake. I'm John 15. Now I do this because I really do believe that in today, in our culture, uh, the word of God has lost a sense of reverence. And so it's just one little small ways for us to say, God, your word is really important. And so let's read this together. John 15, four and five. Remain in me. As I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now I want to take a few moments to talk about what it means for us to abide. And I'm not going to go into this passage and, and kind of give an exposition of these passages. I want to share with you three things that I think can be par- practical. But do you notice up there? Remain in me, I remain in you. I am the vine, you're the branches. Remain in me, I in you. You see the in Christ, Christ in you combination? That's where I believe they got this. You may be seated. I'm going to have you stand through the whole thing, but <laughs> I thought that might really keep your attention. I did that at a wedding once. I always do when I do these weddings. I always I always say to the to the bride's mom and to the groom's mom. I say, would you, if I forget to have people sit after I pray, would you just sit down because most everybody will follow you. My wife was in the back when this was happening. It was early in my ministry, and she was going like this while I'm speaking, (laughs) and I'm getting kind of angry that she's going like this. I don't see all the people standing. Anyway, so I didn't mean that. That's. Where did that come from? Anyway, thinking of a horticultural kind of illustration, you see that in order for a branch to actually bear fruit, and he makes this point again and again, apart from you can do nothing. You need to be connected. You need to be in me and, in, in, and I in you. This connection is vital. And if storms come, this connection is really in vital. Don't be ripped away from it. 
Remember also you're going to experience trials in the heat of the sun. You want to shrivel and don't be disconnected from this life in Christ. Submitting yourself fully to him and all he asks you to do according to his word, how he says to follow him. And so then he says, this is so incredibly important because there will be infestation, there will be disease, there will be things that internally will want to cause you to possibly disconnect. But don't forget, remember always, remember always that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Your identity is maintained as you will learn to abide in Christ. And so I'm going to share with you three things that I think are very important to maintain your identity so you don't go into these kind of disassociative fugue states and forget. They will help you. We will all forget. We will all lose our our sense of connection from time to time. But we are always connected in him. We just that's a, That's a reality. It means that we just have to be aware of it and come back to it. There's abiding reminders is one thing I would call you to do. Another is abiding practices. And the, the third is abiding beliefs. And I'm just going to share one belief at the end. But I want to talk about abiding reminders. There is this idea that you are to intentionally remember those God revelation experiences. When God intervenes, when God works, when you see God has come, gripped your heart or somehow has done something in your own family, has done something in your life, those should be places that you go, that is something I will never forget. In fact, I will do something to intentionally remember that in my life because I know that my feelings will come and my feelings will always tell me almost always will tell you what you believe. So you go back and say, what am I believing? God, help me understand what I'm believing. But when those feelings come, one of the ways to help you go back to what is really true and what you know is true and what you believe is through these abiding reminders. Things that you kind of put up in a way that remind you who you are and whose you are. You know, in the Old Testament, they would do this often. They would be traveling along, and the people of faith in the Old Testament at times would see God intervene. They would see in a fresh new way that God saved them, that God is with them, that God loves them, that they are his children, that they are his treasured possession, that they are prized, they are, they are his loved and chosen ones. You get that? And, and they see him work in a way, and, and then what they would do, if you read in the Old Testament, they would often take stones, and they would set these stones up on one another. The actual Hebrew word is, 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 is the word that says kind of like stones piled is kind of the idea. And so you see in the, in the word of God that when they would put these standing stones and set them up as a reminder of what God has done through this intervention, they would have that there to always remind them that they are his and who they are. And who's there? Jacob set up stone pillars at Bethel in order to remember his powerful dream. He has this dream. God awakens him, Genesis 28, also in Genesis 35, and he sets up stones to remember. Moses built 12 standing stones at the foot of Mount Sinai after receiving the Ten Commandments. We're told of that in Exodus chapter 24. The Israelites erected standing stones to remember their miraculous crossing of the Jordan River. A generation before the whole group went through the Red Sea, they all go through, they die off, a new group is, a new generation is there, and God does a new work. Because God wants to do new work in your heart. God should be fresh in your experience, not just your parents. God should be fresh in your experience, not just your wives or your husbands. 
And so they have this fresh experience, this new experience, and, and they go through the Jordan River at the time of flood season. And, and here's what he says in Joshua chapter 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites. Now, whether one person carried it or not, or they, one guy said, here's a stone, and a bunch of them carried it, because usually these stones were really heavy and massive. According to the number of the tribes of Israelites, you're to do this to serve as a sign among you. It is to point, it is to remind, it is to tell you of my abiding presence and who you are and whose you are. And when your children ask, which is an interesting thing, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones are here to be a memorial for the people forever to Israel. I get this picture. Can you imagine as they have moved into the land and and some years later they're out with their kids and they're with the flock and all of a sudden at one point... The father says, look, you see all those stones? They go, yeah, well, what about them, dad? That was what we told you. Remember the story about the Jordan, how it was crossed? That's right where, that's it. I had opportunities when I was in college to be with my grandmother, who was um, a person I just had an impact in my life. Grandparents, you need to know, you are a very influential person in your grandkids' lives. Spiritually. Don't force all that stuff. Just live out your life in a way that they see it. And my grandmother did that. And never, she just lived it. And I wanted to know about it. And so I'd go to her house and I'd talk with her. And I remember one time talking with her. She was sharing with me some stories. And then she shared with me a verse in Psalm. And in that verse in Psalm 119.71, she read it to me. She said, this, this verse is really, really important to your great-grandmother, to, you, to, you, to my mother, your great-grandmother. And it was, it was good for me to be afflicted so I might learn your decrees. And I had my Bible and she kind of pointed to it and I circled that and I wrote down their great grandmother says, why was this so important? What, who wants this to be your life verse? Afflict me so I can learn. She said, our family came to faith, a real faith in God because of your great grandmother who in her later years had Parkinson's and in that time of affliction, it was there she came to a place where she opened her heart to God and has influenced every one of us. There are reminders that help you abide, that actually can help your children's children abide. There's also an abiding reminder that you need to have. Because it's so easy in the name of following the Lord to kind of invite the Lord into our story rather than saying, God, here is my life to be written in your story. And sometimes the the times of trial and difficulty and those times of, of, of storms that come in are those kind of times that God says, hey, look, this is about me. It's not about you. I don't remember what course it was that I was taking, but I do remember really clearly being assigned to read a book by a 7th century, 17th century uh, French mathematician and scientist. His name was Blaise Pascal. I am far from being a mathematician and scientist. And I was going, oh man. I mean, I actually, when I came to my senior year, looked to see what I needed yet to do for requirements to graduate, and I needed one math class. 
I'm in a liberal arts school, so I took the class that I thought would be the best. It was it was um, subtitled Math for Idiots, and so I was just above the level of idiot, and I passed. So I'm I'm, I'm looking at this in in. This guy was a genius, Pascal. As a child, he discovered all the theorems of Euclid before he even had heard of who Euclid was. He was so intelligent that today, some 400 years later, mathematical theorems are still being used that he uncovered. And so, as I was assigned to read that book, Pensies, which just means in French, thoughts, which were a collection of his thoughts. I was intrigued. It was like Proverbs. It was his thoughts about his life. And, and so I read that. I loved it. And then afterwards, I did a report on him because we had a report on these different books. And I did a report on Blaise Pascal. And in the process of study, read about the incredible conversions experience he had at age 31. And on that day, he had a personal encounter with God. And they said that when he died eight years later, a very untimely death... This guy taken in the kind of the, the years of great productivity, he dies. They found as they got him and they were kind of getting him ready, they took off the coat he was wearing and sewn to his coat was a very worn piece of parchment. And written on it was the following words. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23 November. From about half past 10 in the evening until about half past midnight. Fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars. Certainty, certainty, heartfelt joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ. May God and your God, my God and your God, the world forgotten and everything except God. He writes, joy, 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 tears of joy, the fountain of living waters, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, let me never be cut off from him. He had actually taken this parchment and he had moved it from coat to coat throughout those eight years as a reminder always of this experience that he had with God, as an abiding reminder of who he is and whose he was. And he literally would put it in his coat, sew it on, so it would be next to his heart. As smart and as intelligent as he was, not God of philosophers and not some God of, of science and God of great intelligence, but God who met me personally and told me he loved me and saved me and I'm his and he's mine and I will walk with him forever. Do you have reminders? Have you thought of it as a parent or even a grandparent? What are, what are these abiding reminders that, that you can share? I... I use just little things in my life. I, 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 I don't know if it can, it could be you met God in scripture one time. You may have heard God speak to you in a service. You may, at some moment today, someone may have given you a prophetic word that has just captured your heart. There may be something that God has done and you go, boy, I will never forget this in a time of illness or it was a time in, in difficulty in a marriage, whatever it might be. God stepped in and you go, God showed his love to me. I have a number of these things. I have a coffee cup that says Jesus loves me that I often use in the morning, especially when I'm feeling like, boy, I just need to remember this. I have a thing in my journal. It's called the birthday blessing given to me this last December that I probably read from someone who gave me these words. I read it probably about two or three times a week because I just need to be centered again in the reality of who I am 
and whose I am. So there's abiding reminders, what I call also abiding practices. One of the ways to maintain and strengthen your identity is by identifying with someone who has built a strong identity with Christ. You see, the whole purpose of identity formation, so if you really want to have your identity formed, just think about how it happens in kids. Kids will form their identity by looking at a parent and often doing what they do. So if you find some people that you go, boy, this person really knows Jesus. What is it that they practice? What is it that they do that if I do that, I could kind of begin to see this formed in my own life? Now, it's not the practice that forms you. It's the practice that puts you in a position that God can form you. So the other day, I'm with my little grandson, little Whitaker, and we're, I, I, I had been outside with him, the lawn had been cut, and I'm tracking in grass, and the good husband that I am, I realized my wife won't like the grass all over the place. So I grabbed the, lawn, the, the lawnmower. I grabbed, I grabbed the vacuum cleaner. So I grabbed this vacuum cleaner, and I, I said, wait, I'm just going to vacuum this up. And he has a little plastic golf bag that we got him with two little plastic Clubs. We're not trying to pressure him into anything. But anyway, we, um, and he's got this little yellow putter. And so I'm vacuuming. He grabs this little yellow putter. And he's, when I'm going like this, he's going like this. And I go over here and he goes like this. I mean, everywhere I'm going, he's going, you know, he's, he's vacuuming with his putter. Didn't pick up a grass thing, but I was happy he was doing it. That's part of identity formation. And so what was interesting is I took the vacuum cleaner. I said, you know, I'm going to put this away now. And I put it in the closet. And he takes his little thing and he rolls it up against the wall. Looks at me like, what's next? (laughs) It's really interesting that Paul says, if you want to become like Jesus and, and stay in Christ and maintain your identity, there are some things that if you identify with in practices, they will help form you to become like that. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Join with others following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. He also says it another time in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. The word there is to mimic. It's to be like my little grandson. It's, oh, wow. So he spends time on a regular basis um, going to worship and, and with other people and worshiping his God. And, and he actually spends time with other people where he opens up his life and he's authentic and real. And, and he's a person who actually uses his gifts for God. He does all these things. And he's a person who's, who's into, into God's word and spends time to get to know his God through his word. That kind of thing. He's praised. He says, mimic me. The word is actually like, you know, remember, they don't do this anymore. Remember learning cursive? Anybody here old enough to remember how you learned cursive? You even probably before that you would take and you would kind of follow the little dotted lines. That is a principle of life. It is life giving when you begin to go, okay, I, gosh, I don't know. I don't know if I really understand all God's word. And then then the excuse comes up, well, you know, I just, it's hard to understand. There are so many versions out today. You can read it. What you may need to pray is Jesus. Your Holy Spirit's in me. Reveal what is true in here in my spirit and illumine my mind to the revelation of what's here. Try it. It just might open your heart. And as you read it, let God begin to speak to you. You don't have to read for an hour. You take 10 minutes and then take a few minutes and just jot down how God may have spoken to you. It may have been a word. 
There are practices that Paul said, I want you to trace. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Philippians 4, 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. That's a pretty tough thing. Can you imagine saying that to people? You must be following pretty hard. He must have been following pretty hard after the example of Christ. I think what he was saying is it's not about performance. It's about a brokenness and a humility and authenticity. It's about a vulnerability where people come together and and I'm following Jesus that way. And as I follow him and get to know him, again, it's not about performance. It's about just getting to know Jesus in a real way. So what's more is really interesting that Jesus comes along and he says something. He doesn't say, everybody raise your hand and ask me into your heart. You see that anywhere? What does he say? Follow me. That's what they used to do as as a rabbi in that day. They would say, follow me. And so his disciples would follow him and they would do what he did. So if he's eating grain from the corn, they would, they would do it. They would follow him. And at one point, Jesus even says in John 15, verse 13, in this passage of scripture, he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Which is a washing of people's feet, his disciples. This is how I want you to serve with humility. You are not better than anyone else. Whenever you have that attitude, it's it's judgment. It is not of God. There's three important, we talk about pillars or values or I just would call them practices that you should put in practice that I really want to encourage us and I'm not going to spend any time into this necessarily, but we talk often in the church about worship, community, and serving. And in those are a whole bunch of things. We live in a day and age where worship is just, you just come whenever you want. I want to tell you something. If you can make it, this is a good place to be. I love those of you who are watching on live stream. Bless you, because then maybe you have circumstances you can't. But if you can make it, you will not get the same sense of God's presence there as you will in a room where the presence of God is here through the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. I just encourage you to think about that. Jesus, Jesus actually did that. We're told in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, that Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. It was kind of a practice. It was kind of a habit. And I kind of go, if Jesus did that, I probably should too. In worship, it's not just this public worship and, and you go, oh, I'm not as into the music, whatever. I, I just encourage you as a congregation, it's not about whether you're into it. It's about whether you're expressing praise to God. So do your best and, and just engage your heart and engage your mind. And worship, but it's also about private worship. It's about taking time to read God's word, to get into His presence, and 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 it seems that Jesus did that. It says another passage of scripture, Luke, just a few verses up in chapter five, verse sixteen. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Now, prayer is a large way of saying he got away to spend time with God where he had the word of God in his heart and in his mind and as he prayed it out and he's thought about his life. And I can talk about, we talk about community and this uh, August, we're going to have on August 18th and 25, I believe it is after the service, if you're interested in small groups where we're forming these kind of authentic relationships, go to one of those. 
Let's all say about it because we really believe that life to life is one of the ways you really learn around the word of God. And then we talk about service. And we just come through a season of serving. And you guys have been wonderful in serving in so many ways. Allowing God to use your gifts. What happens when you serve is you see God work in your life into someone else's life. And you go, that's what it's all about. As you see a person begin to understand for the first time who they really are in Jesus, and, and then you begin to see that they understand whose they are, you kind of go, that's what it's all about, and that just reinforces what God's doing in your heart. And some of you need to think about, where am I using the gifts that God has given me to see those kind of exchanges taking place? The way you lose and forget and, and, and no longer remember your identity is when you think it's just this kind of thing where it doesn't matter if you actually mimic and follow the example. You don't need the little thing going around like this and, and vacuuming like my little grandson. You just kind of go, oh, I can just do my own thing. And he says there are actually some practices that you are called to imitate to follow the example of Jesus. And if Jesus seemed to do that kind of thing, how much more? If you really want to know Jesus, if you really want to be formed like Jesus... If you really want that identity, so that identity sticks in the times of storms, and it sticks in the times of trials, and it sticks when you're tempted to sin, I just ask you to get serious about that. I just ask you to pray about it. And then there's the last, is what I call abiding belief. And there's a number of truths, or abiding truths. And the one that we've been talking a lot about is this sense of identity and, and the way that we find this truth told about in scripture is, is that we hear often that, that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. That you are to remain in him and he will remain in you. And so I thought I had seen this illustration. It, it seemed to work for me, so I thought I'd give you this illustration as we think about what Paul has to say. He says in Galatians, after Jesus has remained in me, so I also remain in you. He says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but catch this. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by what? Faith in Christ, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. At one time in Colossians chapter 1, 27 and 28, he says a similar thing. He says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery, which is what? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature, what? In Christ. So here's, here's the picture. Here's, here's what these little boxes back here have been about this whole time. So you're probably going, maybe you didn't see them, but if you didn't, tough. Um, this is what the scripture has to say. This is you, okay? And this is who you are. But the word of God tells us that in you resides a thing called sin, and so if you kind of see yourself, this is the way we are, apart from God, without God, not connected to Christ. Paul at one point says, there's no unrighteous, not even one. All have turned away, for all have sinned, so sin has entered into our life. And Romans 7, he says in these verses, but I need something, I need something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions... I obviously need help. I realize that I have, don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. This is the verse of scriptures that brought me to Christ. I had this in me. I wanted to do good. I wanted to follow him, but it seems like it always got messed up. 
My decisions, such as they are, he writes, don't result in action. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. And what Paul says and what the word of God says, it it is sin. You see how sin resides in you? He said something really interesting happens the day that you say, you know, Jesus, I need you. I need you to come into my heart. I need you to deal with this sin in my life. I need you to put it to death. I I choose to follow you, to receive your forgiveness, to walk with you. I I invite you into my life. I, I'm not I'm not just asking you to save me. I'm asking you to be my all in all. I want to follow you with my life. I actually want to follow you like the disciples did. And at a certain point, when you do that, a, a transaction takes place, and and God takes this sin, and what He does is He puts Christ inside you. You now have the Holy Spirit of God. God living inside you. And in living in you now is Christ. Isn't this cool? Right. Yeah, you can clap. That's good because that's what's actually happening. God has placed his new desires in you. And whether you believe there or not, the reality is if you opened your heart, you've made that commitment, you've accepted him, you are now in, you have Christ in you. He is the hope of glory. Now it may take time and you may still continue to fail, but God says in you is Christ. Now here's the really cool deal. The word of God does not just say Christ in you, the hope of glory. He goes on to say that you are what? In Christ. And so what actually happens is he, he now takes you and he puts you in him and he surrounds you both inside and outside. You have God all around you all the time. He's within you. You will not fail because God will not fail you. Right? And so... I just give you that as a picture. Here is an abiding truth. Maybe this picture will help you. That as you begin to put these reminders into place and you begin to abide in these practices and, and open your heart and continue to walk with him, that you will also remember this truth. We, even when you don't feel like it, when you've blown it, Christ is in you. And you are in Christ. He said, no one can touch or harm you. He says you are his. That's who you are. That's who you belong to.